Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. KYW Original Podcasts. This is a Flashpoint Encore. I'm Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. It is Valentine's Day, so we decided to encore this past weekend's Flashpoint Newsmaker segment. Enjoy. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. Our Newsmaker of the Week has a revolutionary love story. Debbie and Michael Africa Sr., childhood sweethearts. The couple were part of the Move 9 and received a 30 to 100-year sentence following the 1978 Rizzo-era shootout that resulted in the death of a Philly cop, Chuck Africa. The final member of Move 9 was freed this week. Mike and Debbie were released in 2018. They were reunited after 40 years. So, Debbie and Michael, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank you. I remember meeting you, Debbie, uh, in 2018 when you were released. And a few months later, Michael, you were released. Can I, I want to start with that moment. What was it like seeing Michael for the first time after 40 years of separation? It was a lot of nerves. It was funny because let me tell you a short story. Because as... I was waiting for him in Michael Jr.'s house, one of our supporters who also went up to get him. About 10 minutes down, she was calling me every two or three minutes saying, OK, Debbie, we're five minutes away. We only got one more mile to go. Get ready. She called me about three or four times. So that made it even more you know, anxious and nervous and just really not knowing how I was going to act, really. But when I seen him come in that door, it was like the first time I ever really, really felt this feeling the good feeling, the love feeling for him. And I just, it was just almost magical, really, because just not seeing him all them years and just knowing we had communicated, but it was just, it was really, really, really good, really good feeling. Yeah. And I know the ride back to see Debbie had to be a lot for you too, Mike. Oh, it was. It was, you know, a lot of anxious moments. You know, I was uh, ready to say something to the person who was driving us home because he was driving so fast. You know, I wasn't used to driving that fast anymore. You know, the cars were zipping by, and I hadn't been in a car such a long time. But I was just so anxious to get to her that, you know, I was ignoring a lot of things. You know, and I had been anticipating that moment for such a long time. Didn't know whether it was going to actually happen until it happened, you know. Yeah. And uh, didn't really believe it until I was out that door, the prison door, the prison yard. And in uh, our son's doorway, you know, and seeing her that, you know, I believed it, you know. Yeah. And I've known um, your son, Michael, for years now. He's like a perfect blend of the two of (laughs) of y'all. And so let's rewind back. Y'all met like y'all were kids, basically. We were young teenagers. I was only 14. And I can't remember if Mike was 15 or 14. Turning 15. He was turning 15. I think he was 14, too. But um, but yeah, we met. Um, when we were 14 years old, and I like for him to tell this story. Yeah. <laughs> was it like a thing? Was she, was she like, what was she doing that made well, you say, you was, know what? She was just, all she had to do was stand there. She was, you know, beautiful to me, 
you know, and a lot of other people. But, you know, to me, um, she was actually living around that corner. We lived less than a block away. Mm. And they had been living there for five years. And we had never seen any of them, any, you know, her mother or her four siblings. My brother and I, uh, my mother sent us on an errand across the bridge. We never went up the street that she lived on, you know, for, for whatever reason. We always walked past it. But this time, they were having a play block on that street. It was in full swing. So we just, out of curiosity, walked up there and saw them playing king ball. Her and her sister and some friends, they were playing king ball. And um, Was it a lightning bolt? What, what hit you? <laughs> I don't know what it was, man. But I saw Debbie, and that was it, man. That was, you know, oh, boy, I want to get to meet her. And uh, got in that game, and instantly she hated me. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really hate him, Debbie? Did you really hate him? Um, I'm going to say I had a healthy hate for him. <laughs> I had a healthy dose mm-hmm. of hate for him, mm-hmm. mostly because we got beat in King Ball. That's the reason. We played nice ball. When they, him and his brother is who he's talking about. When they came up and played, it was like slamming, slamming, and slamming. I'm like, wait a minute. We don't play this way. Came up and it changed oh, the game. Oh, my God. Yeah, changed the game. impress you. <laughs> and I didn't get it. <laughs> no, I wasn't really trying to impress it. That's just the way we, around uh, the corner, okay, it was okay. a whole different atmosphere. You know, and even <laughs> when we played with the girls, they, you know, they were rough too, you know, so. But impressed I was not. Who do they think they are coming yeah. at our game and changing? Yeah, I got the game? a few hickeys there. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it was definitely instant hate. <laughs> but, yeah. So that seed was planted for you. Oh yeah, Mike. That yeah. day, it probably took you a little while to come around, Debbie. It did. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but eventually y'all fell in in love. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. And eventually, um, you know, we just started to see each other and um, it was still like Kitty thing. It wasn't like real, like, I don't want to say serious thing, but it it, it couldn't have been right. It wasn't a a really serious thing like that. Eventually did, I did, I really did start to like him a lot. I'm not going to say love yet, but I started to (laughs) like him a lot because there was still some, oh my gosh, you think you know everything, right? But then things did happen. Then at 16, we got back together. And he went to service, and, you know, our lives kind of went separate ways. And he started sending me letters, and we started communicating back and forth through through letters when he was in North Carolina. When he came home, he started, he came over my house, and he started to see, we started seeing each other again. And it just kind of, like, took it a little slower, a really kind of slow. And then, you know, then we got to move. But by then, you know, I really had a lot of deep feelings, a lot of deep feelings for him. And I would say that I really did love him. So did you join MOVE together? Like, were you a couple when you joined MOVE? Well, we were a couple when we both got in MOVE, but Debbie went down before I did. So you went down to headquarters, and then eventually, Michael, you joined, and then that became your family. Yeah. It seemed like there were a lot of couples there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. There were other couples there. But I joined joined MOVE before him, and—but it was almost—it was very, very close. Very, very, very close. Um— because when I, well, we got into a neighborhood fight, and that's what really actually kicked us into move, really. And when I say us, I mean me and my relatives, my relatives, my sisters, my mother. And um, so getting into that neighborhood fight, my mother was just afraid for us because mm-hmm. it was the summer. We were still in school. My brothers were not, they were very, they were, they were not, they were bad. Two younger brothers. And uh, they perpetuated, they did perpetuate the fight. 
And so after the fight, my mother called her brother in to see what she could do to get some help. So her brother said, well, okay, I can take him down to where I am. I'm, you know, I live on Pearl Street. We do work. We walk dogs. We take care of dogs. We, you know, we wash cars. They can work for the summer. So this way they'll stay out of trouble. So that's how your family that's got how we involved move. and Mike came. And then mm-hmm. you were part of the move organization. Yeah. That, that became the broader family as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, not before I graduated, though. I said, you know what? I can go down sometimes, but I'm not doing it until I graduate from high school. And that's, you know, that's what I did. I went graduated first, and then I started going there down regularly. What went through your mind when you found out you were expecting a baby? Let's back up a little bit, too, because at the time, even though we had kind of, like, joined MOVE, we were going around, we were still living at my mother's house. Mm-hmm. We weren't down there living. We would just go down and, you know, take, you know, wash cars and help out, help out with the dogs. But we were still at my mother's house. So I had her there, my daughter there. And it, it was awesome. It was just really amazing. Like he, I mean, he watched the whole birth and it was, you know, no doctors, no midwife, no medicine, no nothing, because that's what we were learning move that, um, it was just natural to have a baby. But, of course, we had to be prepared. We couldn't just yeah. have a baby. We had to be work hard. We had to eat good. We had to make sure we were healthy enough About to this do time, that. she's 20 years old. So she's 20, 21. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right, I'm 21. We skipped a few. Yep, yeah. Yeah, so 21 this, and, years old. And y'all have been together for some time oh, at yeah. that point. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you find out you're having Michael, second baby. Personally, because at the time, we were, we were now in a confrontation. And it was like May 20th, 1977, and... Everything, a lot of things had happened. It had happened at the hands of, you know, the city of Philadelphia. And so I was very, very nervous. I was very nervous and at, at a lot of things that had happened. By this time, confrontation had escalated between the MOVE organization and the city of Philadelphia. And here you were, here you two were, expecting your second child. Although, I I mean, I love the, the act of being pregnant and you know, me and Michael being together and wanting to be a family, it was still it was still stressful. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know how it was going to happen. And so I'm going to say I wasn't that greatly happy about it, only because, well, really it was the situation I wasn't happy about. It wasn't being pregnant with my second child that I wasn't happy about. It was the situation that I really Were you nervous about. about bringing him into this? I was. In such a, because infants are so vulnerable. I you was. Know? And you're vulnerable. Yeah. As a pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And having already having a baby, she was just two. Yeah. And she how did you two. feel, Michael? Your wife, your the woman you love over here, your baby, you have a new baby coming. Yeah, you just described it. You know, it was nerve wracking at times, you know, thinking about it. Uh, it was so, you know, then you hear so much vitriol coming at us from the press and, you know, from mm-hmm. some of the folks at uh, Rizzo and... Um, Ed Rendell and, you know, all these folks is coming down are coming down and they're, you know, um, we promise you we're going to do this and we're going to do that, you know. So, yeah, it made for a stressful uh, time. And so then we get to August of 1978, um, the big confrontation. How many months pregnant were you at that like time? Like between seven and a half to eight months pregnant. That was a big moment because I did not know what was going to happen. I didn't know how it was going to happen. And when we were in the house in the basement and the water started coming in from the windows, like it was rising so high, like some of the kids were literally coming off their feet and they had to be picked up. And I almost fell actually trying to come out of the house, being big and pregnant, carrying a baby. 
and then trying to get out of the house when, you know, everything erupted. And then he caught me to make sure I didn't fall because if I had fallen, I don't know what, because we couldn't see at that point. There was smoke everywhere. We couldn't see. I couldn't even see the hand in front of my face. When I came out of that house, it was, I can't even remember really what happened. Michael was, Junior was the one who told me what actually happened when I came out of the house. Because of footage. All I remember was when I come out, I said, they're going to take your baby, so don't try to wrestle with her. Just let her go. I did not want her to be scared. I didn't want her to, I just wanted her to feel like everything was okay. Your daughter. I didn't want to leave her like that, but I didn't want to give her up either. And then Michael Jr. told me that as at the time that they were taking my baby with, I saw the cops have Michael, and he just said, I screamed. I said, I don't even remember screaming, because all I was thinking about was just don't hurt her. And we won't go through a lot of the details about this day. You guys are separated at this point, put in in prison. Mm -hmm. You have to have your son in prison. Yes. And Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine the most vulnerable point of any woman's life happening inside of prison. How long were you able to keep Michael? Well, I kept him. I kept him a total of like five, six days, I think. They let you keep him, yeah. But I didn't keep. Well, I didn't keep him in the jail. Yeah, I kept him like a one and a half, a couple, one and a half to two days in secret, where they didn't know. Um, but no, they didn't let me keep him in secret. <laughs> but, what do you mean? Well, when I had him, I, they didn't know it. They they never knew I had him. They never knew I had a baby. They didn't know until I told them. Until we told them that I had a baby. So wait, you had the baby in my cell. In my cell and they never knew it until we told them and the reason that we told them was was because I knew at some point that I had to he had to be given to somebody on the street given to my family on the street so but because I was afraid for him and I didn't know what would happen if anything if they knew if I went to the hospital or if they knew that I had a baby without everybody else knowing it if you understand what I mean. Yeah. I did not want, I wanted to have him where they did not know him. So once I did have him, I let Janet, my, she went up to, let me back up. We were, when we were in preliminary hearings, they had our hearings at the House of Correction. They We, we didn't go anywhere. We didn't go outside the city hall like normal. So we were in groups to go up to the, to our preliminary hearings. So when Janet went to the preliminary hearing, that's when she told him that I had had a baby in my cell, and they didn't believe it. They said, no, 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 she just, no, we, no, she, we, we saw her, she was just, she was pregnant, but they really didn't. They didn't know it because we were locked in isolation behind two doors, and so they they were supposed to check. They did check, actually, sometime. They did check, how did but you by the time it? Michael was born, I was quiet. <laughs> That's how I did. And because you had I already had a baby at home, right. you so already had, knew what to do. So I had some kind of experience doing it. And even though it was still tough, I, I had to do it. I just had to do it. So I willed myself to do it. And I had to make, I had to keep him quiet underneath the blankets or, or whatever. And then by the time I had him, my sisters, they were all around me. They were in the cell and with me. And when the guards would come by, we would just make noise. And Merle would just be on the steps singing, you know, Maybe if I could. she would just sing so that they wouldn't really, you know, focus on. They wouldn't come. Michael. Yeah. <laughs> when did you find out about the day your she son? the day uh, Debbie had Mike Janet as she was just going to say brought a note over before she announced it in court. She gave me the note. 
and it was a note from Debbie saying that she had had a baby. The baby was fine. His name was Michael, and she was fine. And and Janet then announced it in court, and the, the judge did not believe her. It does sound really unbelievable. Somebody to do so. She asked a the matron, like and some what, kind of special what, about what, it's the truth. What was even more? <laughs> it's the truth. What was even more amazing is they had. A, a matron sit at the desk because they knew Debbie was far, far along and check on her every 20 minutes, every 30 minutes to see whether she would give birth. And Y'all see my mouth still open. Time, I'm just like, and yeah. every word of it is the truth. And I, I kid you it, not. it just, but the type of willpower and mental toughness you have to have to be able to, first of all, have a baby by yourself and then do it in the jail. But, but I hear about women being shackled in prison, mm-hmm. giving birth, mm-hmm. The alternative probably wouldn't have been, it would have been a thousand times worse. It would have been, it would have been a thousand times worse, like you said, because they do shackle women and um, shackle, um, I don't know whether, I'm not sure whether they shackle hands and feet. I've just only heard stories from women who have gone through it and it was an experience for them. You know, it was an experience that they didn't want and they wouldn't show nobody else either, but. Um, so, yeah, I definitely didn't want that. And most of all, I was just really thinking about his safety. You know, I don't know what it was, a boy or a girl, but I was thinking about his safety and what I needed to do and to keep him close. And so then you get sentenced 30 to 100 years. Someone had the your family takes your son. Michael is raised mm-hmm. uh, by um, family. Um, but y'all keep in touch. How did you all keep in touch and keep your family unit intact despite the the separation and the incarceration it wasn't easy in fact michael and my daughter they were raised with my between my mother and move and kind of like back and forth michael senior and i only communicated by letters so that's how point. you kept yeah. in contact and then write yeah. letters and her mother and, and because my mother. her mother had the, had the kids and mm-hmm. she and was also in yeah in move and you know we stayed in you know as much in touch as much as we could you know, through phones and letters, and she would come up often. And and how often do you think you saw your children? Um, well, I definitely didn't see them at all, often at all, because um, it's hard to bring a baby, and especially my 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 oldest daughter, because she knew me. It was the one of the most toughest decisions that I had to make, because I really didn't want her coming up as a baby like that and having to go back. We only had a half hour visits. And then having to go back, and I couldn't go back with her, or she couldn't stay with me. That was trauma. And he couldn't stay with me. So it was one of those decisions that you make that if you had it all over to do again, knowing what you do, you may not make the right decision, even though it might hurt her at the time. But I think it's one of those, how do you say, damned if you do and damned if you don't, because, you know, I never wanted that. Once you go upstate, the visits are a lot longer. They're like, once you get there at 9 o'clock, you can stay till 4 so they really didn't come up often at all. And um, they just actually started coming up at ages like two, like, no, like um, five and three. Five and three. Yeah. Five and three. Five and three. So writing, visits, and that's how you kept the, the family unit. That's how we, that's how we, I mean, not thinking about it at the time, but that's just how we always communicated with each other. Family. Letters and then communicating between from other people like my mother. And um, and that's know, how y'all kept that in contact. Of, yes. And so did you, did the feelings, I mean, y'all are separation. They said 30 to 100. Did you say to yourself, Michael, I know we're going to be back together. This is, this is going to, did you have that kind of like image in your mind? Like you always knew or would you, 
what, what was going through your head? Well, sometimes even after 30 years, you know, um, okay, well, you're down. You're at this point where you can be released. Now we're going to the parole board, and the parole board is constantly turning us down now. Sometimes, yeah, you know, you had that doubt in your mind where um, whether you would be reunited some at some point, you know. But, uh, you know, you just kept fighting, you know, and striving and yeah. never giving up, you know. And never then, giving up. And then it came, and Debbie, you were the first. Yeah. And that's how I felt, though. I, I, felt, like it was, yeah. I felt like it was always going to be that way. I, I never felt like we were never going to be together. I've always felt like, I mean, we had our, um, we have ups and downs. We have, you know, of course we have, you know, conflict. Of course we have difference of opinion sometimes, but I never, ever felt like we were never going to be together. I've always felt like we would always be together. I mean, I mean, in spirit and whatever, you know, I've always felt like we would see, we would be together. And so I took, I mean, I just took my time in chunks, like years, like find things to do and just, to, you know, and just holding on to to our family unit, just holding on to it, just holding on to it. Holding no on to it. No matter what, even if, even if people I didn't know, like when my children were around people who I may have known, they say, oh, we went to Miss, Miss uh, Ruby's house today because we're going to do swimming lessons. I'd start writing her. You know, and I hadn't been in touch with her for 20 years. She was just my aunt's um, landlord. So anybody that they were in contact with, anybody that they knew, anybody, I started writing them because I wanted to make sure that I was there somewhere in that influence somewhere, influenced a person that was around my children. And let them know somebody yes. was somebody yes. was paying attention. Yes, I did. And that's what I did. That's and they were I doing did. the same thing. And they, yeah. they were fighting for us, man. And, you know, you've talked to Mike. Yeah, and- I, I told, I said, Michael, you know, you are have been a blessing to this family. Like he is so capable. He was so excited, so excited, and you were the first of the group to come home. Yeah, I was the first of the group to come home, and he still gets every now and then a hips, and he'll just start jumping straight into the air. And just, yeah, my parents are home. You know, he'll get like that, like a little kid. Um, yeah, I was the first to come home, and. I mean, it was awesome. It was it was tough for me, though, because they put, actually, they put the worst. I had the most restrictions. I had the toughest road to follow. I had the toughest tight. I walked a tight route for everybody else because I was the first to come home. And so, they, of course, they were watching and, you know, making the Then they made sure. Then nothing happened. And it's no, like, okay, no, then yeah. you came home. Then I came right. home. I think you were just a few months later because you were, like, Four in months. June. Four months. And you were like in October. Right. It was such an amazing day for us, you know. And it was funny because while I was at the house with Michael and Robin and Robin, his four children, while I lived there for four months, Michael Sr. would call on the phone to talk to Michael Jr. And I couldn't talk to him. I wasn't allowed to talk to him because you can't have no communication with your ex, with your uh, co-defendants. So I would sit there at the edge of my door and there's a bench outside of my door that Michael Jr. would sit there and talk to talk to Dad, and I would be sitting there like this, and I would just be listening because, I, but I couldn't say nothing to him, and that was really it was really funny because for four months that's what I had to do, and then Tully came home, and it wasn't very long before y'all had a wedding. Oh yeah, that April it was. Um, now, even though we were married already, it's like it six, was yeah, it's like six months. You know we, mm-hmm. you know we hadn't had it uh, a formal you know celebration like. And that. you look beautiful. You Thank look quite you. dapper. And Thank, you. Thank you. You know, mm-hmm. and what was that like after all that you've been through? And finally, you get a good, you get a really amazing day. 
That day was so awesome. I'm telling you, I think my face probably should have shattered that day because I was smiling so hard because it was so, it was almost like a reward for everything that I had been through, everything we had been through. It was almost like a reward for all of us, you know, all of us. Me, Mike Jr., Mike Sr., you know, my daughter, and, and I wanted her to be a part of it. And then it was just, and his daughters, he has two, actually has two older daughters. And it was just like, for all of us, it was just so, so, so. It was one of the happiest moments that I've that I've ever had, and I didn't think I was going to be that excited because, you know, like like as he said, we were already married. We had, we were together for all these years, even though some of them were apart. We still kept communication. We still kept, you know, um, we still got down to the nitty gritty of our feelings and things. So, but man, yeah. Doctor Crystal Lucky, the pastor who married us, right? Um, said uh, at the end of the ceremony, and I'll turn around and see all the people who love you. And while we were standing up there, you know, saying our vows and all, we hadn't seen, you know, the people that continued to come in. So when we turned around and we mm-hmm. seen, we felt that, we felt that from everyone. Oh, my goodness. It was amazing. It was, it was really nice. And, really nice. I, I mean, there are a lot of couples that are separated by incarceration. There are a lot of couples that are separated by you know, space and time. We got military families. We got mm-hmm. people um, who can't be with the person they love. Like, you know, what is your advice to them? Like to keep the family unit, despite all the stuff mm-hmm. that happens, stick it out and don't try to change each other. Be who you are, but you can still be together and be in love while you're still being who you are. You just don't try to change each other and um, give it a chance. Give it a chance because people do change. You give it a chance and it takes work. It takes work. But it also takes it takes love too. It takes love and it takes work. Yeah. And when you is Debbie still that same fiery person? Yeah, she <laughs> that um, you met when she was fourteen. I'm telling, she, t- she she told she told me on the way over here that I was getting on her nerves. Oh, get out of Right. But you know, you hear her story, you heard what she, she's done, um, has she, how she had our children, and um, mothers everywhere go through that for their families, you know, and that's easy to be loyal to. This has been an easy journey for me in terms of being loyal to my family. It was a hard road, but all I can say is I'm glad that I'm here with her. Our children could have been, they could have turned out any kind of way without parents, but they were so in in love with our family that that's the example they put forth, you know, and Mike, you know, Mike brought us home, you know, along with a lot of support and uh, hey, I got grandbabies, mm-hmm. great grandbabies, you know, have great grandbabies. Y'all do it. Y'all, I mean, <laughs> this is a full life wow. yeah. that you have ahead of you. And so I just want to say on that note, thank you. To uh, Debbie and Michael, Africa, for coming in and talking about this. Can I just say one thing? Because I I, I need to I have to really acknowledge um, John Africa, who's our founder, who also gave me, gave us the strength that we have. He gave us that foundation and told us what we needed to do to, in order to have a baby. And the strength, the mental strength that I had to endure that, definitely, definitely, John Africa played up, was definitely a part of that. I'm glad that you have Michael because yes, he's a wonderful, I am too. <laughs> a wonderful man. And uh, I wish you all the love and happiness and peace 
uh, that that you can handle. <laughs> and plus some. All right. Yes. And thank you so much for being on Flashpoint. Yes.